Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Dr. John. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, well, since you guys are Christian thinkers... Sorry, I just want to leave that question. I wanted to get your input on that. Sure, appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. That's my question. So thanks a bunch. Thank you. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. This is Jeremiah thanking you for joining us today across Faith Radio Network, any of the terrestrial stations where you're listening across the central or eastern time zone. It's a blessing to have you joining us and interacting with this program. I want to thank all of you who are submitting questions. Uh, this program, uh, as you can tell probably from that wonderful intro produced by uh, our great producer, Nat Becker, um, you can see that this program's content is dictated by your questions and the topics that you email to me. How can you do that? You can go to www.ask jjj.com send me your question and so what we do is we group those together we aggregate those questions and then that allows us to spend an entire broadcast bringing adequate substantive answers to these deep questions that y'all ask and i just love doing that and a lot of times i have great thinkers who join me and we discuss it um, the ins and outs of the questions, the troubles, the problems, the great evidences, the great hope, the great encouragement. And that's what this program's about. So if you're just joining us, um, this, this program is very similar each and every week in that you lead it as the audience member. You direct it. And so thanks so much. That's what I mean. Thank you for interacting with us. Uh, and while you're doing that, go ahead and like the social media of Christian Thinker Society, our ministry. Go to Facebook.com slash Christian Thinkers Society. And I would love for you to Connect with me on Twitter at underscore Jeremiah J, just the initial J at the end. Uh, same with Instagram at underscore Jeremiah J. Now we're going to be back. I've got a very special friend holding um, because we're going to have a fantastic conversation today about Christian publishing and what is happen happening in the wider world of Christian publishing. I'm talking about my dear friend, Mr. Dwight Baker, a new friend in some respects, but somebody uh, who I have just so enjoyed getting to know in the last couple of years, a man who, for whom I have much respect. Uh, and he's a man that is called on again and again in the wider publishing world to talk about current trends, to discuss exciting things happening in Christian publishing. And I've got some questions for him. I've even got some fastballs for Mr. Baker about what's happening today in the wider world of Christian publishing. And it's all about bringing the gospel and creative means by any media necessary. So this is going to be a fun dialogue. Stay with us. We've got to jump to a 90-second break. Uh, but holding is Dwight Baker. And when we come back, we're going to be diving in. Uh, to that exciting world that is resourcing you as a follower of Jesus and what's happening today in Christian publishing. We'll be back in a moment.
welcoming everybody who's listening across Faith Radio Network. We're back with the Jeremiah Johnston Show, and I'm delighted to have you joining us today, both in the Central and Eastern time zones, as well as those of you who are listening after the fact on either the Faith Radio app or any of the varietals of the podcast. So it's great to have you. This is the program uh, where we tap into the greatest thinkers' minds, and we struggle through and think through the trending questions of the day, always going to God's Word and not Google. And I'm delighted to be joined today uh, by a good friend of mine and somebody who I've just been looking forward to discuss all kinds of interesting issues happening today in Christianity with. Of course, I'm talking about Mr. Dwight Baker, who is the current president and CEO of the Baker Publishing Group. Dwight, thanks so much for joining us today on the program. Thank you for the invitation. Dwight, I want to I just underscore for a moment the history of Christian publishing, which I receive all kinds of questions about Christian publishing. I mean, it's fascinating to me how many people are interested in the different aspects of what happens right now in the publishing world. But can you take us back historically of how Christian publishing began, where it began, uh, what, were, what was it in its embryonic days? Yeah, certainly. Christian publishing, as it's identified today, really experienced a rise in the first half of the 20th century. Uh, There's a regional component. Uh, Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, does not account for the entire bundle of modern Christian publishing companies. But four publishers did appear in West Michigan during that period, and all four continue operations to the present day. I refer to Zondervan, Baker, Erdmans, and Kriegel, listed in descending order of size, and there, there are family ties involved. My grandfather, Herman Baker, and our company founder was a nephew of business founder Louis Kriegel. And Herman wow. first worked at his, at his uncle's bookstore, and he quit. He left open his own business in 1939. And Erdman's and Zunderman have a similar origin stories involving an uncle, a nephew, and they launched in 1911 and 1933. Wow. So literally, we I had no idea of the interconnectivity of these of these events. And I mean, what was it, do you think, about the early 20th century that that brought about the right conditions for publishing to emerge in this way, and especially as it relates to Christianity? Yeah, that's that's an interesting trajectory, because in the 19th century, book publishers were very well established. They, of course, were based on the East Coast and they published very broadly, but they did not self-identify as Christian publishing companies, but they published the, the leading Christian thinkers of their day just as a matter of practice. They was, Christian publishing was integrated into general interest publishing. And during the latter half of that century, they steadily withdrew from the category of Christian publishing in keeping with the cultural trend toward oh. wide secularization. Well, they opened up a business opportunity, and individuals and ministries moved in to fill that gap and that process took place over a 50-year period during the first half of the 20th century. Wow, fantastic. Well, I just I love to learn how people built their companies, their entities, especially especially those that are dedicated to Christian principles. So give us an idea of the lineage. You, there's Herman, who you just referenced, 1939. There was Mr. Rich, your dad, and yourself. Give us an idea of how the leadership has passed through the family. Yeah, absolutely. Herman Baker ran the company from 1939 to uh, 1997, and my father, Richard, was president for the 10 years that followed. 
and I'm sorry, it, Herman was until 1987, Richard till 1997. So I've been president for the 22 years. So we are a three-generation, uh, family-owned, independent business. And the other Grand Rapids publishers, Erdman's and Kriegel's, are the same. Zondervan, which is the largest of the four, is now uh, incorporated into HarperCollins Publishing. And there was, in, in West Michigan, an obvious Dutch Calvinist influence. There was a very uh, public theology in the communities of, of, the, of that day and gave rise to those, those individual independent Christian publishing companies. But there are also ministry-based companies that rose during that period. Uh, Moody Bible Institute began publishing in 1894 and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in 1947. So that those two form a nice bracket to a 50-year period of the the rise of Christian publishing. What's interesting is that the latter half of the 20th century, uh, there was has been a reverse of that trend. Fascinating. I mean, and why is that? Well, the large multinational media companies that withdrew in the latter half of the 19th century renewed their interest in the category, and particularly in the 1990s, re-entered. So the investments that took place, and I'm speaking of companies such as Harper and Hachette, Random House, Simon & Schuster, these are large multinational corporations. They reinvested into Christian publishing, not necessarily because they love Jesus, but they saw a business yeah. opportunity. Publishing is flat. Christian publishing during that period is rising. So they re-entered that that category and and did so very well resourced and soon hired up some of the best talent as an individual independent company that's that's fierce competition we we compete regularly with multinational corporations but i try to view that through a wider framework uh this business shift brought tremendous blessings to the church in north america this is this is how god resources his people that's right it's so true and i've been talking about that recently on some programs on this show um, I want to talk for a moment, though, about Baker, because in, in full disclosure to our audience, I'm very proud to be a Baker author. I'm delighted by it. I, everywhere I speak, I promote uh, what you're doing. I, my, my experience as an author, especially with seeing how the Holy Spirit is using Unimaginable now in different languages, has been nothing short of tre- tremendous. And I've just seen a trickle-down effect of your leadership, Dwight, throughout the, prog- throughout the entire company. There is a desire to be excellent, a desire to honor Christ, and those coming together put out excellent, excellent resources for the church. And so I I couldn't agree with you uh, anymore. But my first opportunity actually learning about Baker Baker Publishing was at academic conferences, so over on the academic side of Baker. And I want you to talk for a moment because Baker, and I could be off, it might even be larger now than, than, than what I recall. Isn't Baker now technically five imprints? But my first introduction was through Baker Academic. And I just love how Baker is respected academically. It's respected in the popular world. You know, talk about those different imprints, but also the values that guide your publishing company. And, and also, you know, how have they shifted or perhaps evolved uh, over the years and decades? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, our academic division and our entry into that category goes all the way back to our founding. The first book that my grandfather published was a commentary in the Book of Revelations. Wow. And so, yeah, so we've we've been engaged in academic publishing along with trade at various levels of energy throughout the decades. There, the divisions, and there are actually six, five trade divisions, and then Baker Academic, which of course names its own category right in its title. They all have yeah. different. Uh, origins. Uh, Fleming H. Ravel is celebrating its 150-year anniversary this year, and so they wow. all have different origins. They were either launched or acquired through business acquisitions, but they all 
They all bundle under our, our company mission, which is to publish high-quality writings that represent historic Christianity and serve the diverse interests of evangelical readers. And that that mission, that statement is packed with meaning. I mean, writing, putting that in our mission means we are focused on content. And, and Christian companies have plenty of invitation to consider non-book items such as gift. At Baker, we left that category to others. Sure. Writings implies we're content-based. We don't have a prejudice on media. For instance, the word book does not appear in our mission. Uh, if people want to read e-books, that's fine. We don't, we don't have any concerns about that. Uh, the term historic Christianity is doctrinal and fixed. It's fixed in time, and it's, it's enduring. But the diverse interest of evangelical readers is constantly shifting. Those boundaries are more porous and, of course, a very, very fascinating area to publish. Wow, it's fantastic. So tell us about just your own personal journey into the leadership in Christian publishing. I mean, it, and I want to go back to Herman. Like, did Herman know? Who taught Herman publishing? <laughs> you know, how did, <laughs> well, how did had, you and yeah, Rich learn this? <laughs> yeah, no, we figured it out as we go along. But there, there's a context. For instance, the publishers are very collegial. Uh, Herman had very good relations with the other founders, Louis Kriegel, William Erdmans, Pat Sunderman. So those, those four characters were engaged. We all, all four of us had Christian book retelling businesses. Two of us remain in the Christian book retail business. And so we were both publishing and retailing each other's books decade after decade. And so it was a very integrated and collegial business. And the other companies I mentioned, such as Moody and InterVarsity and all, I mean, we, we have a business association that is uh, truly missional-based, even as we compete as businesses there is a strong sense of common mission and common good that shares. We all read each other's books, critique the others, sure. and then we, again, we compete for limited authors uh, and limited marketplace. But the, and, and of the publishers I mentioned that are Grand Rapids based, they all moved into a broader community, even though their origins were Calvinist and Reformed, they all moved into a broader reading community at various levels and at various paces throughout the decades. Wow. And Dwight, I just want to say this, you know, I've had the opportunity to rub shoulders with people at different levels in the publishing industry. I was struck by our very first conversation. I mean, I, were you and I separated from birth? I mean, we have so, <laughs> we have so much in common. I, I just love the way in which you approach your own Christian thinking. And I love that that trickles down, as I've already said, throughout your company. But I would be fascinated to know, we only have about two minutes before our first break, who are you reading right now? What books are, are ministering to you in your walk with Christ? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, the pleasures of this business, even as an administrator and executive, is proximity to Christian thought leaders. And I, I do enjoy reading our own publications and speaking to our authors, such as you, and your book, Unimaginable, about perfect examples of the publishing that, that we, we love to do. And because evangelicals are moving across other cultural boundaries and other church traditions, such as Roman Catholicism and the charismatic movement, mainline Protestant, these are all categories my grandfather could not publish because huh. evangelicals were very closed off. They didn't sure. move beyond those boundaries, and it was unthinkable at that time during his period to publish in those areas. Well, now evangelicals are conversant with all those groups, and that provides you know, a delicious opportunity, even as a publisher that's dedicated to evangelical readers, to reach across barriers and serve other church traditions. And aren't you seeing that as a growing trend, uh, meaning, I mean, I'm seeing that in my travels, more and more 
thoughtful Christians that don't necessarily trip up over the guardrails of denominations. I'm not undervaluing the importance both currently and traditionally of Christian denominationalism. However, I'm seeing an, a more openness to read widely and, and find benefits from that. I mean, I see that as a growing category, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and since I'm surrounded by Christian books all day, you know, in my leisure time, I, I, I read very, very broadly. And I mean, I personally love popular history and writers like David McCullough and Hampton Sides, Eric Larson, Nathaniel Philbrick. I'll read anything those guys write. They're just such compelling writers. But reading broadly, of course, brings rewards and risks. Wow. Well, we've got to take a 90-second break, um, and I want to ask Dwight Baker about a word that my friend Lee Strobel was sharing with me two weeks ago, that he felt Christian publishing is right now, and he used the word, in upheaval. Uh, I want to hear what Dwight has to say about that, because uh, he said something powerful a few moments ago. We are resourcing the church today. That's a powerful statement. I think it's accurate, but I want to hear about what's happening with some of the shifts in the way we read and really specifically procure our books. So don't don't uh, change the channel. We'll be back in 90 seconds. I'm talking with Dwight Baker, president and CEO of Baker Publishing. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm joined by President and CEO of Baker Publishing Group, Mr. Dwight Baker, and we've been discussing the genesis, really, of the modern Christian publishing movement. And I want to go back to 1939, Dwight, when Mr. Herman Baker, your grandfather, decided, really, to take a step of faith. I mean, give us, let us know a picture of what was happening in his life at the time and, and, the, and the major step of faith it was to start this company. Yeah, we ask ourselves occasionally, what would Herman do? And, and what he did, of course, is uh, he stepped out and made a very bold business move. He had a young family at that time. He founded his company in 1939. My father would have been, let's see, four years old and had older and younger siblings during that wow. period. And the courage to say, I can do this better as a separate company and make the moves to do that. But the growth, of course, was very slow. The, the limit of an independent publishing company, or any business for that matter, is resources. And yeah. so for, for many, many years, uh, he had limited capital to build. That's why we're always envious of the multinational corporations that we compete with, because they are very well resourced. Well, and you think about, I mean, 1939, World War II breaking out, and then what would happen over the course of the next 10 years and, and this, the faith it took for Herman to do that. I want to stay on this theme of what would Herman do because um, I also want to know what would Dwight do <laughs> for what's happening today. Um, I mean, we're living in unusual times, Dwight. I mean, a recent Barna just came out last week, 69% of pastors, and we have thousands of pastors who engage with this program feel pressure um, to discuss social issues, and many of them are not comfortable to do so. They don't feel resourced for whatever reason or perhaps encouragement to do that. Uh, and then we're living in these unusual times. I was interacting over the weekend on Twitter with a BBC report that you know more than one half of British Christians um, don't believe Jesus died for their sins. I mean, there's so much confusion out there. And yet when I see that Americans spend $2.5 billion annually Two and a half billion on Bibles and related Christian publishing materials, and that number is growing. You know, how do you, Dwight, equate just the what I would call the rank biblical illiteracy, and also the biblical misunderstanding, misreading, vandalism in the Christian church today? And I'm talking about at large. I'm not picking on any one area, as compared with the abundance of resources available today. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, by by mission, our family business is not prepared or designed 
to directly serve non-reading Christians. I don't I don't hold them in contempt. I'm, I am baffled by the popularity of network television, but. In truth, book publishers have never served a large percentage of any population. At least they've never done so in my lifetime. I mean, most folks don't read books. That's just a fact. Uh, if publishers, book publishers can't abide with that, we should serve elsewhere. But our, our company serves non-readers and does so eagerly through their pastors. Yes. Church leaders have a profound responsibility to direct their congregations to valuable literature and, and to engage non-readers who seek spiritual guidance. You know, on a personal level. Uh, so we reach the church broadly through church leaders and pastors. Well, and it is fascinating. I put out an email um, twice a month to people that have signed up on ChristianThinkers.com, and I was reading about this recently that, you know, 192 million people in the United States did not read a book in the last year. And my immediate reaction to that was, yikes. <laughs> I mean, it, it reminds me of a Wall Street Journal article I read, I read uh, recently that, you know, uh, uh, these cookbooks, and I mean, my wife buys them all the time, cookbooks, have never been more popular or profitable, and yet more Americans are eating out. Now more than ever. So we buy cookbooks, but we eat out. And I see a correlation to here you are, Dwight, Herman, Richard before you, resourcing the church with these phenomenal materials, books, Bible studies, and and all of the materials alike. And yet we have so many Christians who are confused. I mean, I mean, in many ways we live in this sound bite. And and I deal with this, Dwight. And I try to deal with it in Christian love, but so many people have never got beyond the soundbite, what I would call bumper sticker theology Christianity. How how important is it for us as parents, grandparents, those who are listening to you right now who give influence, who mentor, perhaps their Sunday school teachers or Bible study leaders, how important is it right now for Christians to be more literate to engage our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, of course it's it's terribly important, and, and as a as a business, I mean, let's consider the growth opportunity here for for book publishers reflected in the numbers you just stated. I mean, a hundred what was one hundred ninety two million people didn't read a book last year. Well, if just if they just read one book next year, you know how we'd be scrambling to to serve them. I mean, the, the printers yeah. would be rolling all year long. But I mean, in fact, they won't. We know how this goes. They they're not yeah. going to read a book. It, it's hard to convert non readers uh, into readers, but those that do read are often serial readers. And significantly, to, to borrow a quote from former President Harry Truman, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. Yeah, and that's good. With that in mind, I mean, readers face a huge responsibility of directing non-readers through life. I and mean, picking up a book puts a responsibility on all of us. We should face that obligation soberly. I mean, don't pick up reading unless you're prepared to accept that. I mean, if my math is correct, every reader... Uh, has a personal obligation and a duty to guide one and a half non-readers through life. That's right, or uh, or five five plus in my in my home. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, I'm 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 sure you're you're spending time with your kids. They're not only reading, but they're watching adults that are that are engaged in books. I mean, there are so many studies on this. How important it is to read to your children, particularly at the at the very young age. I mean, very young, uh, like toddler age. And um, my wife, Tamara, is a Christian school librarian, and she's she's just absolutely filled with all these statistics on the importance of reading for young families. You can't overstate the importance of vocabulary and reading uh, for children. 
Well, that tell Tamara might like this. So we had a meltdown um, in our home. And by the way, the wheels fall off, ladies and gentlemen, about once a week when you have five kids and triplets. So this isn't unusual. Uh, but we had a meltdown Friday with Justin, our seven-year-old, and Tamara might like this. He's so his favorite activity every week at Fort Bend Christian Academy, where he attends school, is to go to the library and get the new library book. And Dwight, we were unable to locate his current library book last Friday. So, I mean, it changed all of our schedules that day. I mean, I had radio that day. (laughs) It was, you know, mom and dad, I'm not going to be able to, you know, because you have to bring the book back in order to check out a new book. And, you know, and friends, here's some immediate steps. I mean, if we were to walk around your home right now, there's probably a television remote in most of the, in most of the congregating areas. Are there books? I mean, if you walk around the Johnston home right now, uh, I, I don't know if there is a room where there's not books. I even have books in my garage. We have books in all of our bathrooms. We have books in the kids' rooms, books in the kitchen. And it's just a, it's a, it's, it's a currency in our home, books. It's things that we're discussing, things that are challenging us. And you know what? The Bible should take preeminence. Can you just talk about Bible reading uh, for a moment? Because obviously you, Herman, uh, Rich, you all are gifted. I mean, you could be publishing all kinds of books, but can you talk about the place and the importance, Dwight? I just want to hear it from your perspective as someone who who does this. Um, how important yeah, is Bible absolutely. reading? And I'm, I'm so glad to hear. I mean, I wish all children in America had the same benefit as your children do with parents that are engaged in that. And, and considering your son had a had a screaming fit over a lost library book, that's, yeah. that's a man with very good priorities, i got to say, already. Uh, his priorities are in the right place. Yeah. And Yeah, the Bible publishing is rich and robust. It's beautiful. There are tremendous books. I mean, not only not only specialty Bibles and annotated Bibles, but also works that get the the truth of the Bible and the Bible narratives down to down to the level of a of a young child. There's something at every age group and at every level of comprehension from from scholars to new Christians. The the offerings are abundant. Uh, there's no shortage of good material, and yeah, it's it's baffling. But in spite of the the larger trends. Uh, the the work continues to appear year after year, and it's it's very the the population is very well served. But what's what's changing, of course, is the demographic. Uh, the 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 post Christian world is a is a familiar phrase, and I noticed uh, last weekend another report came out on mm. on demographics. A number of respondents who identify as non religious yes. now is at parity with Catholics yep. and evangelicals, and that's a continuation of a lengthy trend. Uh, not out on a big scary limb here to expect that trend to continue and then that's moderate right. over time. But I mean, living in a post Christian world, that means we as the community of faith can no longer assume a hearing in the wider society based on our majority status. I mean, Mm. this is disappointing and even humbling, but I don't see that loss necessarily as a disaster. I mean, these, these statistics should impress us to respect people from outside our faith. Those have different viewpoints. Um, We in the faith community have no basis to demand mutual respect unless we can extend it unilaterally. So good. And I mean, that, it was that way in the historic Christian church, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, Christianity was in a minority when you think about the upper room gathering with only 120 as opposed to the Roman Empire, um, in which the, the church grew, birthed itself, and grew it to such an extent by Acts 17, these who have turned the world upside down have come here also. We're hearing that, the, that Christianity is turning the world upside down. Um, but I want to I ask you, we only have about three minutes left, Dwight, a, a question that, that I would just be fascinated to, fascinated to know. When you look at Baker and its six imprints, 
Can you just discuss, and this may be, this is my word, not yours, the, 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 perhaps the tension of celebrating the diversity in the body of Christ while also upholding your personal publishing values? I mean, do you find it personally difficult to, I mean, this is kind of a $64,000 question. Do you find it difficult to publish authors you may personally disagree with theologically or practically, but yet you are, are able to see their value for the church at large? Yeah, you've described it, and that you, you, it's a very good question. It, our, our unique company history, our experience, and our skills have prepared us to serve, you know, particularly uh, Christian communities beyond that core group, evangelicals, as we move toward, you know, uh, other categories, our Baker Bookhouse and Baker Publishing Group, uh, move to the background and other p- publishers take a greater role. That's a very different approach than publishing only books that I personally affirm, affirm because it's a, it was already diverse. Evangelicals are diverse, and they, they read and they converse broadly, but that broad intellectual scope is just a terrific area to explore together, as your book and as your, as your program here do. And friends, I mean, I want to remind you of what C.S. Lewis said. I mean, can you see him in your mind's eye meeting at the Eagle and Child Pub? He's talking with the Inklings, and and they discuss the importance of majoring on the majors. Lewis called it mere Christianity, this opportunity that each and every one of us have to rally around the major doctrines, the major truths of Scripture, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the physical bodily resurrection of Christ, the infallibility of the Word of God. These are things that we can rally around but at the same time, I would never want to break fellowship over some minor issue with a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. Uh, Dwight, I was asked to speak in Boston recently, and it was a humble gathering, I must say. It was a wonderful gathering, but a humble gathering. This They, they brought together pastors from across the denominational spectrum in the city of Boston, and there were only about 200 there. You would think more would have come. Um, there are, just are not that many pastors in, in Boston right now. And they had read my book, Unimaginable, and they said, can you just come inspire us with what will happen if we work together for the glory of Jesus Christ and unity, what we can do to change this city for Jesus Christ. And I was just amazed that even there they have their different denominational perspectives. They did an event based solely on what can happen if we work together. And I think your company does just such a phenomenal job serving the church in that way. Friends, we've got to step away for 90 seconds. I've got several more questions. We're talking with Dwight Baker. We'll be back with you in just a few moments. Welcome back to the program. Friends, we're so excited to have you listening across Faith Radio Network and those of you also that are listening on the podcast. And thank you so much for those of you that are leaving us such great reviews on our podcast and on the website for the show. We're just delighted that you find this this program helpful, resourcing, and encouraging to your walk with Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us to do our best to present ourselves to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly defending the word of truth. I love Jude verse 3, where Jude challenges every one of us to contend for the faith. And I love this because today we're having a fabulous conversation with a great Christian thinker. We're talking to Dwight Baker, the president and the CEO of the Baker Publishing Group. If you've missed any of the other segments, you're definitely going to want to go back and listen to the archive program because we've been discussing uh, both the historic Christian faith, we've been discussing the movement of modern Christian publishing, which is just such a fascinating story. But now I want to transition if I can with you Dwight my good friend Lee Strobel and I were talking just in the last two weeks and he was describing Christian publishing in his mind and he has 
quite an experience, a breadth of experience in Christian publishing, is being an upheaval. That's the word that he used. I love Lifeway. I partner with Lifeway. I filmed another Bible study with Lifeway last week in Nashville, and yet uh, anyone who's interested in Christian publishing is probably aware that they've lost $35 million with their Christian stores, um, and they're shutting down all their stores. I mean, what are we to make of what's happening? I mean, do you see Christian publishing as an upheaval? And I mean, are there, are there also uh, signs of hope? Yeah, absolutely. We, we we grieve the loss of Lifeway, and that, of course, followed the decline and disappearance of another very important Christian book retail chain that was Family Christian Stores that mm. closed a few years ago. That was actually founded by Pat Zunderman. It was a division of, of Zunderman Publishing for the first half of its life. And so the avenues by which we reach readers has been significantly reduced during the uh, the past few years, that's a loss. It's a loss for those communities because book booksellers are the by far the best avenue to reach people in the community. And our our publishing company has a single Christian bookstore. It's been on the same site for 39 years now here in Grand Rapids. It's actually thriving. It's, it's a beautiful story, by the way. Yeah, oh, good. I'm glad you visited it. It's, it's, it's been on this site since 1980. In the last two years, the sales jumped 35%. Uh, wow. It's having a record-breaking year, which means retail does survive, but it is—it's—it's it's a struggle. I mean, we can't in both publishing and, ret- and book retail, uh, we can't assume that more people will join the church next year based on the yeah. demographics we were just talking about. Uh, we can't assume that even people of faith will start reading in greater greater percentages, you know, based on again the other statistics between readers and non-readers. Uh, but honestly, there's no reason for us to expect that or demand that. I mean, serving. A declining market segment means that we as an independent company have to work harder and we have to work smarter. I mean, and given the value of the gospel message, I mean, harder and smarter is appropriate. It Amen. doesn't need to be easy. It shouldn't that, be. And it, it never was. So powerful, friends. Um, and I agree with you. And thank you for giving us hope um, in what's happening, too, in Christian publishing. I noticed one of your employees, I think it was David Lewis, was quoted recently in Publishers Weekly um, related to Lifeway, and he he mentioned that probably the largest, or I don't know what the, I'm paraphrasing it, this is the Living Bible version, but the, a significant impact might be that not as many Bibles are sold. And just talk about that for a moment, that, that not having retail oh, yeah. stores affects Bible um, sales. Yeah, he's right. He's right on, if you've ever been to a Lifeway, it was the most brilliant, glorious Bible department in country, with the possible exception of our own bookstore, but I'm yeah. biased there. But it's, <laughs> it, it, it's very hard to duplicate that. And the general interest retailers, like Books a Million and Barnes & Noble, they, they have Bible sections, and they're well, they're well stocked. They're worthwhile. They might be all that is available to a lot of communities now, but nobody sold Bibles like Lifeway. Those departments were so well stocked, so well organized. I mean, they're people of the book. These are the Baptists, and yeah. it just showed the importance <laughs> the centrality of the Bible in their church and in their lives. And so the disappearance of whatever it is, 170 well-stocked Bible departments across this nation over the next, which I think is going to happen over the next six to nine months, that's that's a loss. It's really hard to do that on Amazon.com. 
It really is. And just to be able to flip through a study Bible, so many people walk in there and they can remember the first time they purchased the Bible or study Bible or a commentary. Um, but I want to I want to go back to a, a question. And this is really based on, you know, the thousands of questions that we receive at Christian Thinkers, especially at AskJJJ.com. And I want to encourage those of you who are listening right now, send me your unanswered question to AskJJJ.com. We touched on this, I think, in the last segment, Dwight. But when you just look at what's happening right now with biblical literacy, um, as you mentioned, we're living in a post-Christian world, and friends, we are. You know, what are some of the ways that Christians can be more resourced and equipped to live out their faith abundantly and minister, I think, effectively? And I, I love what you said. We have to give people outside the church the same respect we would expect them to give us. And I think that, for me, means having an informed and intelligent faith. I mean, we have smartphones. We have smart homes. We should have smart faith. So what say you, Dwight, about this issue? Yeah, I call on pastors as as people that have a significant responsibility to to read to read broadly and and to reference openly you know in their in their studies in their sermons in their worship leading in their classes to reference good books pastors point people to better reading so they've they've got a significant responsibility in that area because i it helps to get a reference uh, there's people that i trust so much i'll read yes. anything they point me toward Mm, mm, so powerful. Um, I want to talk about a growing trend. I think this is another sign of hope for me, and this might be helpful for those of you that are listening. You know, I basically, when I'm not doing Christian Thinker Society, I'm an Uber driver for my kids, Dwight. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, how's that so, going? Uh, uh, you know, it's 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 Ubering and then doing my calling of my, my the destiny of my life, Christian Thinker Society. But I, you know, I don't have a lot of disposable time, as you all can probably imagine. Um, and one way that I I personally and challenge is through audiobooks. In fact, Dwight, I have a hilarious story. Uh, we, we recorded the audiobook for Unimaginable, and I'm very partial. I always prefer that, especially with nonfiction, especially with pronunciations and things like this, that the author himself or herself should narrate their own book just to make sure they get especially the pronunciations correct. And I just love to hear the heart of the author. I've heard authors break down crying in audiobooks. It's powerful. Uh, but we were recording at Beyonce's studio here in Houston, and the rap music from the other studio was leaking into my studio as I was recording the audiobook. I think Free I was the least. <laughs> exactly. So there, you might hear Beyonce a little bit in the background, friends. Um, but I want you to talk for a moment. I say all that to say to give context to. I love audiobooks. This is growing, is it not? And do you find audiobooks helpful? And and what would you encourage with our audience to check out some of the Baker Book audiobooks? Yeah, absolutely. It is it is growing, and it shows the resilience of the reading community. Those that people that are seeking content, uh, they are now simply more portable. And the the media with smartphones and, and earbuds and such, I don't I don't personally partake of that much. But I find that a larger and larger percentage of our works are available in audio. And there's wonderful companies, Christian Audio, Oasis, and others that. Uh, have first option for all of our works and so and we we have starting a program to do our own audio on anything that is wow. not picked up by our partners Excellent. for the simple reason that a greater percentage of people are going to be reading on foot reading as they jog or work out or hike or drive their kids around yep. uh, that's, that's a much it's a much bigger part than simply the easy chair the fire and the yeah. you know the cat cat on your lap that works for some but it's it's not the uh, it's not the future. That's an established market, but the the growth is to make books as portable as they possibly can be, and that's that just shows the resilience of content-based publishing. 
Um, it follows the media. The media follows people's dispositions. And as a book publisher, we don't we don't have a prejudice. Audio's just fine. That's great. Nope. Well, and it, it really it really is interesting to me how things just go in full circle. I mean, Christians were known, and it was a pejorative term, as these bookish people in the first century, and they traveled around with codices, these small books that were bound with wood. Um, and when you think about it, their preference for codices because they were portable, and they were trying to get the word of God out. They did not have a preference for the scrolls that were heavier, more costly. And so I just think it's fascinating. Here we are 2,000 years later. Some things change. Some things stay the same. We have time. We have about four and a half minutes. Dwight, we have time for two more questions, and I want to jump right these to these. I mean, considering your experience in publishing, and you've published so many dynamic authors, is there any experience with an author in particular that might that just left you like wowed or inspired by how they went about their work, or just something you might have heard in an offhand comment that impressed you or motivated sure. your spiritual life? Yeah, that's that's my favorite. It's my favorite question to 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 follow. I was I was thrilled. To find a reference to Dr. Francis Collins in your book, yes. Unimaginable. Yes. And that I've, I've met and become familiar with Dr. Collins just in recent years. Uh, Francis Collins, he's a physician, a geneticist. He leads the Human Genome Project. He, this was a presidential appointment. And Dr. Collins converted from, as an adult from atheism to the Christian faith. And it's a story he tells in his book. Alas, we didn't publish it. It's another publication. But The Language <laughs> yeah. of God, a yes. scientist presents evidence for belief. And it's it's curious. You mentioned C.S. Lewis. The works of C.S. Lewis were a huge factor in Dr. Collins' conversion. That and a, a testimony of a patient who testified to him about Jesus Christ. Mm. And he was already, of course, a, you know, a scholar and a leader. But his uh, his story about that in the language of God, it's somewhat like the book Surprised by Joy, but for the science community. I urge every Christian who studies in the natural sciences to read the language of God and, and to investigate Dr. Collins' foundation, BioLogos. Uh, it connects Christians that who serve in the natural sciences with believers who recognize and values God's revelation and created order. So that, that for me was, a, in the past few years, a, a tremendously valuable discovery. Mm-hmm. And friends, I just have to say yes and amen to that reading language of God. I think in 2007, for the first time, blew my mind. And then listening to the audiobook version, actually, where Francis is narrating, I don't want to give anything away, but uh, there was um, a very interesting thing that happened with his daughter uh, that he had to reconcile with his faith. Um, so I encourage you to check out Language of God. So important uh, with what Francis Collins continues to do. In our final, in our final moments, Dwight, I ask all of our guests because I believe vulnerability is the new superpower to reach people. Um, and this program is built off of unanswered questions of believers. Um, is there an unanswered question that you've perhaps transcended or struggled through? If you could ask Jesus anything today, uh, what would it be? And I don't try to answer it. We just leave it there. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you. I mean, Jesus was. As recorded in the Gospel, he was asked and answered a lot of questions. And let me propose he's already provided all the answers that we're able to handle at this point in his master plan. But Mm, there was one direct question to Jesus. And since we're moving through the season of Lent right now, let me refer to Pilate's demand, what is truth? And the question was actually a sneer, not an honest inquiry. And it was it came from a you know a panicking Roman governor. It would be wonderful to revisit Pilate's question honestly and humbly, but we'd have to excuse the uh, the governor from the room. And at, unfortunately, the question was asked and unanswered at a time late in Christ's ministry. He had very few hours remaining on this in this world, 
and the question still hangs there, unanswered. Mm. Really powerful when you think about that passage, Dwight, John 18. In fact, I filmed about that passage last week. By the way, friends, P52 are our most ancient current fragment that we have, AD 125, the John Rylands fragment, has a has pieces of this conversation, of course, with Pilate. My only PS, and here I said I'm not going to try to answer it, now I'm adding a PS. <laughs> it's fascinating when you read John 18 and you look at Jesus' definite articles, he twice says the truth, the truth. He is of the truth, here's my voice. We're like a bolt of truth from Christ when we, when we apply his truth to our lives, and yet Pilate responds, as Dwight has rightly said, what is truth? He doesn't use the definite article. Pilate may have been our first postmodern um, <laughs> relativist 2,000 years ago. So it's a fascinating thing to look at. Dwight, you've been such a tremendous guest. Will you come back to this program again in the future? Oh, I'll talk about books all day long. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, friends, I want to encourage you to check out uh, Baker Bookhouse if you get to Grand Rapids. I think it's my favorite bookstore anywhere. It's wonderful. You, I could live there. And then check out, check out Baker Publishing Group. Dwight, thanks so much for being on the program today with us. Thank you for the invitation. We'll be back to take your unanswered questions. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show. This is Jeremiah. What a fantastic conversation we've just enjoyed with Dwight Baker. I'm so thankful for the insights that Mr. Baker shared with us. And one of the things that I want to immediately react to is this whole immediate steps. I love to finish this broadcast with immediate steps. And friends, I want to talk to you about your own Christian library. Do you have commentaries? Do you have Bible study tools. And so I'm actually asked a question here by a young lady by the name of Hannah, and this goes right along with the program that we've been discussing today. And she said, Jeremiah, what are the essential tools that I need to have as a careful Bible student? Hannah, thanks so much for asking. And let me just give you some of the primary things that you can have right now to begin your personal, or not just begin, but to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Well, the first thing is, is the Version Bible app. I mean, let's just start with the basics. I love Bobby Greenwald. I love the folks at Uversion. Um, it's amazing. Uh, we don't have time to do it. We're going to do an entire story, just an entire show, just based on how God's using Uversion. But do you have the Uversion Bible app? I mean, you can download it for free right now. There are multiple different translations. There are all kinds of different Bible reading plans. You can connect with friends and see people you admire, respect how what, what they're reading in their Bible. You can follow their Bible reading plans. Guess what? There's an audio Bible version to the, and again, again, this is all free. So if you're working out or if you're driving somewhere, or you're in an Uber, or you're in an airplane, and you just want to listen to the Bible being read, uh, what a great app for you to take advantage of. So start there. Get the Bible on your smartphone. And I know you have a smartphone. Uh, most of you do anyways who are listening to this broadcast. But check out Uversion. Just go to your app store, however you download apps. It's on every app store. Type in Uversion. Use that. That's step one. Step two, get a great study Bible. Now, study Bibles come in all different shapes and sizes. They have different theological bends to them. Um, so just check it out. I mean, I, I have so enjoyed learning different theological perspectives. Do I agree with every single commentator in the study notes of my study Bible? Of course not. Uh, but it's given me a great um, understanding of the wide world of Christian theology. Why do I need a study Bible? Because sometimes you're reading along in a passage and you just 
man, what did that just mean? I'm not sure I really understood that. Those study notes at the bottom really help clarify not only the meaning of the text, but how that text falls into the larger arc, not only of the book you're reading, but the biblical narrative. So definitely get a good Bible study, a good study Bible. Thirdly, get a, and again, thank you, Hannah, for this great question. Get a Bible dictionary. Uh, I want you to be aware of biblical words. I mean, there's some words that show up in the Bible that we're not used to. So get a Bible dictionary. Get a Bible handbook. Uh, They're not the same thing. Bible dictionaries are different from Bible handbooks. Bible handbooks provide these excellent summaries of Bible books. Fourthly, I want you to get some commentaries. Now, don't let that word scare you. Um, my wife, Audrey, has a tremendous testimony of using the old Lamplighter series. And you can probably find that in a used bookshop. If you do, let me know, because somehow I lost my, my Lamplighters. Um, but Lamplighters is a great just little elemental theology commentary that you can read right with your devotion. So, Hannah, thank you so much for these great questions. And like Dwight Baker said in our interview, talk about reading exemplify reading in your home, love reading, be a conversant, literate Christian. Friends, I'm so grateful to have you in this broadcast. Share it with friends. Um, Go to Faith Radio's website and check out all the other broadcasts that we do as part of the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And then pray for our ministry. I'm probably coming to a city near you to speak, so I ask for your prayers. As I'm probably coming, you can check out my schedule on social media. I've already shared all of that. Just go check out our website, christianthinkers.com and know that i'm praying for you i love you i'm excited about how this program is one just one other way one other tool that you have to grow in the grace and knowledge of christ to do your best to present yourself to god as a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth god bless you we'll see you next time on the jeremiah johnston show Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.